As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to episode 101 brought to you by Hourglass. Use the promo code LOVELY at hourglasscosmetics.com to get free shipping with your purchase of a full-size caution mascara. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Coppa. You can find out more about the podcast at cultivatingthelovely.com, in our Yellow Brick Road membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely, and in our Facebook group. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram, where you can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-K-O-P-P-A. Ladies, today we have an author on the show who I have admired personally for years, and her book is one that I read probably back in November, and I have been itching to be able to talk about it with you guys because it's so good. I think it is probably hands down the most honest and real and raw book that I read all of last year. It is Brave Love by Lisa Leonard. She is such a lovely soul and she's so sweet that when you read these hard-hitting things that she has in this book, you can't help but be transformed and be thinking about how you think of your own life and how you deal with struggles and relationships. I was so impressed with this memoir. You guys, you've got to read it. It takes all the struggles of being a mom with a special needs child and difficulties in marriage and just motherhood and who we are and becoming who we are and accepting God's love. And oh, it's so good. I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. And I can't wait for you to hear this episode with Lisa. But first, let's talk about what we got going on in Patreon these days, because that is one of my favorite places to truly be able to interact with and get to know my followers better. You guys get pretty direct access to me in the Patreon account, and we really try to deliver consistent content that you guys want and is fun. And one of the most fun things that we do is What Ingrid and Fiona Like. It's a podcast just for the Patreon members where me and my best friend, aka Fiona, really Rebecca. We talk about all kinds of topics and especially things that you guys give us ideas for. So just this last week, we did a whole episode on body care, what we are doing right now food-wise, fitness-wise, what we're doing with our skin care, all that kind of thing. Things how we're trying to take care of our brain. And we want you to be able to get into that conversation with us. So if you want to join Patreon and be able to get in on our book club, we're starting a book club at the end of this week for 
Lessons from Madam Chic, which is a really fun book by Jennifer L. Scott. We're going to be walking through it for nine weeks, and you could be involved with that if you just go to patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. We've got all sorts of different levels that you can get involved with for what suits your finances and what suits your interest level, and we would love to have you over there with us. So again, patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. If you want another fun way to be able to get a pretty direct line to me, that is through Instagram. I love connecting with you guys at Mackenzie Coppa on Instagram. I regularly make a fool out of myself over there, so you're going to want to hop over there and see. Plus, we have been doing the morning show all throughout January. It is so much fun to get my day going with all of you again, just like we did in those old Periscope days. It's a delight, and I would love to have you there with me. Usually, the morning show runs for about 15 to 20 minutes. I try to come on between 6.45 and 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and we just have a hoot talking about our lovelies and whatever topic we have decided on for the day. So come join me on Instagram, come over to Patreon, and hey, if you want to do a little extra something-something for the show, give us a little advantage, help us out over here, then there's something really simple that you can do. You can head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for Cultivating the Lovely. It does wonders to get the podcast in front of new eyes and help us keep our standing within the iTunes charts. So we so, so appreciate when you do that for us. Just leave a quick little one-sentence review. Give us a five-star rating. That's just what I'm going to recommend and help us to get in front of even more listeners so we can continue to be bringing you great content week after week. But for now, let's jump into this episode with the lovely Lisa Leonard. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to have you on the show. As I kind of mentioned, as we were, you know, talking beforehand, I have followed you for years and years and years. You and the pleated poppy. I would watch it. I don't even know. I don't even, it couldn't have been Instagram because it was like a bazillion years ago that I started following you. It must have just been blogging or maybe Facebook or I don't even know. But I loved both of you. I loved when you guys would show your outfits and it was so, so fun. So I've loved you and your work for a long time. Did you know that Lindsay and I are real life friends? I think so. I mean, you could tell back then there was like a bigger connection than just over the internet. But yeah, Yeah, I loved watching both of you. Do you guys live near each other? Yeah, we live in the same town. So just a few miles apart, although we don't see as much each other as much as we would like to. But yeah, that's so fun. So I, I I loved your book. I'm going to say right now, I mean, this is airing in 2019, but I've had my hands on this book since like, I don't know, September of 2018. So I got Mm. to read it way before anyone else. And I just, it's a treasure. I just have to say that Mm. it, I mean, I read a lot of books in 2018, especially for the show, but Brave Love was the most beautiful and the most like dangerously authentic book that I read. Yeah. And I so appreciated it. I mean, I just think you really crafted something special here. So bravo to you. Wow. Thank you. That actually makes me tear up. And um, I'm so grateful. That's what I really hope for is that women will see themselves in the book Mm -hmm. and um, feel empowered and loved to really to do, you know, to live bravely and love bravely. And I think it, 
can look so different than the way that we previously thought. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, looking from the outside in, especially with social media the way it is and everything, you say like, oh, Lisa, you've got this amazing hair and this great sense of style <laughs> and, you know, this thriving company. And, you know, it's really easy to just look at those things and not hear the gritty parts, you know, and you yeah. were not afraid to get gritty in this book. It was it was humbling to read, but just so encouraging to my heart. I mean, as my listeners know, I've been walking through a very rough season for the past uh, almost year and a half. And this whole idea that you put forth in this book about that we are people too in our families Mm -hmm. and that we matter and that we need to know what our likes and dislikes are and what we need to be taken care of and to take care of ourselves it was the process I've been walking through, like trying to figure out, well, what is it that I like? What, what do I, what do I even enjoy or what, how am I taken care of in this past year and a half? I've had to really figure out those questions for the first time in my life. And so while our stories are very different in the way that has happened, so many of the underlying themes were the same. And I think that so many women are going to relate to that. I think that, there's so much pressure on us from both outside, like just in the world to inside, like the pressure that we put on ourselves just by comparing, you know, ourselves to other people. And, um, yeah, it's intense. And I think it's really easy in motherhood and business and whatever we're doing to put ourselves on the back burner and then eventually kind of lose ourselves to, to the point where we don't even really know what we want and need anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're dealing with, I mean, I say this as someone who has dealt with things that are out of the ordinary, but I think especially as someone who's dealing with not just like your typical life, when there are extra things compounding it where it's a little bit easier to lose yourself. You know, you have Mm -hmm. a son with special needs and that can be very all encompassing. You know, I grew up with a brother with a disability. I know what that's like to have all the extra medical needs and all those things that are a part of your daily life. They never really go away. And they're not things that a lot of other people can relate to or in my adult life, like being in an abusive marriage. (laughs) Like that's something not everyone can relate to. And there are these extra pieces that make it harder to find yourself in the midst of all of it. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, I thought Definitely. you did a beautiful job of sharing how how you walked that journey. But I want I want to get to that. I want to go like way more deep into the book. But I just realized I forgot to have you introduce yourself. So <laughs> do you want to let people know who you are and where they can find you? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm Lisa Leonard. And uh, you can find me at lisaleonard.com. And my last name is spelled L-E-O-N-A-R-D. And on Instagram, I'm also Lisa Leonard. And I love to connect. Like if if you're on Instagram, leave me comments or DM me. I love to um, connect in, you know, as much as I can in those places. And you have a pretty Instagram. I was just like uh, probably a few uh-huh. weeks ago as I was preparing for this interview, going back, looking at all your pictures from England and all this amazing stuff. It, it's a fun Instagram to follow you guys. So head Thank over there. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. You do a beautiful job of curating it. 
Thank you. I have fun. I really love taking photos and um, finding beauty just kind of in the everyday. Plus, then when you're in England and stuff, everything's beautiful. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. And you guys were there for quite a while, weren't you? Yeah, we spent a month there over the wow. summer. That was it was felt like a long time. Yeah, I bet. What made you decide to go to England? My husband's uh, mother is British, and so he has family oh. there. So we usually go in the summer. And uh, he really wanted, he wanted to spend the whole summer there. And I said, why don't wow. we start with a month? Yeah. And we all kind of felt like maybe three weeks is like a good amount of time. Cause it's a long time to be gone. Yeah. Like it was, it felt really long. So, I, I mean, it was so fun, but you know, you're, you're just away from home for so long. So yeah. we started to kind of miss our normal routine. Yeah. I can imagine, but how amazing too. What an awesome opportunity to go be able to do that. Wow. It was incredible. It looked incredible. Everybody go find it. Everybody just go look on Instagram because <laughs> it was amazing. So this book, I mean, it's a very memoir style, which I also have to say is so refreshing as someone who gets sent a bazillion nonfiction books over the course of a year that are a lot of them. They're great, but they're not based in story. And so when I get a book that is like memoir style where it has some story to it. I'm always so grateful because it's just an easier read. It's just it's just more enjoyable to me. Like the others you can learn a lot from, but when it's a story that you can learn a lot from, then I really resonate with that. So I loved that aspect of it. You tell so much of your journey, but the one part of your journey that wasn't included in the book is how you got to create the book. So do you want to share a little bit yeah. with us about how the book came to be? Sure. It's kind of, it has been an interesting journey. I, um, I was working with an agent a few years ago, maybe like five or six years ago to write a book and it just was not coming together. I was trying really hard, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I even want to write a book. Hmm. And we, we did pitch a proposal and it was kind of like crickets. So I decided to just wait. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's not the right time. Yeah. And then um, I really wasn't sure. I For so long, I didn't consider myself a writer. Mm. I would say like I was part of Encourage, which is yeah. a, a group of writers. And I blogged, you know, that was my regular. I wrote on my blog all the time, but just felt like, oh, yeah, I'm not really a writer. Like I write things, but, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a writer. Yeah. And then I was working with an executive coach, which I highly recommend for women in business. And he kind of put me, he did like some evaluations, like what are my values and my strengths? And one of the things that came out is that I love to write and that's Mm. how I love connecting with other women. And so I was so surprised because I'm like, oh my gosh, I think maybe I've been like saying I'm not really a writer because it matters so much to me that it's scary to Mm. want to be a writer. Yeah. And so when, when we started talking about this, like, wow, I actually love writing then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll try to write a book. And then right after that, an agent approached me and, um, she was like, Hey, I don't know if you're interested in writing a book. And you know, when things start happening, like yeah. they just fall into place and you're yeah. like, okay, this is crazy. Yeah. And we totally connected this agent and I, and I was like, she's just such an amazing person and really seemed to understand me. So, um, yeah, some out, I mean, it's such a long process. You think like, Oh, how long did it take? Probably three years wow. from, talking with the agent to actually the book hitting shelves. It's just such a long process, but it was, you know, writing the proposal, 
putting that out in the world and having um, trying to get publishers to come back with a response. And then when we finally um, signed with Zondervan, then starting to write the book and going through the whole editing. And now I'm in the marketing phase, yeah. you know, because the book comes out in January. So it's about like 10 weeks out. And um, it's it's really busy. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Just there's so much to do, but it's yeah. so exciting too. But it's also so terrifying to be honest, like oh, because I it's memoir style. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I was in LA a couple weeks ago recording the audio and I had this moment, there was two women that were doing the recording for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, these women are going to know everything about me. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> the whole world is yeah. going to know. <laughs> because it's like it's gonna be out there so yeah Yeah. it's um it's definitely real and honest yeah and it was I mean I thought it was really interesting just especially from the perspective of like dealing with your son David and how Mm -hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about what his disability is sure absolutely so he was born with a syndrome called Cornelia DeLange syndrome. It's a woman's name. She put the characteristics together in the 1930s. Oh. So her name was Cornelia and her last name was DeLange. Hmm. Um, so we were had a very typical pregnancy. Everything seemed fine. And then I went in for my 38-week appointment and the doctor, the doctor said, you're measuring small. So he sent me to a specialist and she said, it was that same day, and she's like, something's definitely wrong with the baby. Oh, wow. So it started feeling like the world was cracking apart, you know, just like what's happening. Yeah. And, um, I was admitted to the hospital that day. And then two days later, um, they started, uh, inducing labor. And two days later, David was born and he was tiny. He weighed four pounds, two ounces, and he only had two fingers on his left hand. And then we didn't really know if there was going to be more than that, but it turned out he had a severe heart defect Um, and with the syndrome, he's Mm nonverbal, he's still spoon fed. He's 16 years old now. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's still diapered. And so he needs a lot of care, but also he's like the spark. Like he is just so fun and loving and like engaged and joyful. So it's, um, it's been this crazy journey of like feeling completely devastated. Our world's just falling apart. And then finding this joy and love in a really unexpected way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ladies, we're going to take just a second to hear a word from one of our sponsors, Hourglass Cosmetics. For a lot of beauty brands, luxury means something to splurge on, an indulgence. But when I experienced the performance and innovation of Hourglass Cosmetics, it was easy to see that for them, luxury means so much more. I mean, yes, your products will come in the most beautiful, well-done packaging. It was the first thing that stood out to me. And I gotta say, when you're holding those well-made packages in your hands, there's just something different about it. You know you're interacting with a brand that's very serious about the cosmetics that they are making. So far, two of my very favorite products have been the translucent setting powder which is just amazing and I use it every single day and their veil mineral primer it literally makes your skin feel like butter it's so amazing I'd make you feel my face right now if you were with me because it's that good I absolutely love it when using their products you can tell just how innovative their formulas are plus they're cruelty free which is another great characteristic about this company and then there's hourglasses caution 
Extreme Lash Mascara, it's groundbreaking. I'm obsessed with their long-lasting formula that never smudges. I really love Kasha Mascara. Its advanced formula is completely vegan and never flakes, even after wearing it all day. The tapered brush delivers endless length, intense volume and lift, and it helps me get those hard-to-reach areas like in the corner and lower lash line. The first time I tried Kasha Mascara, I really saw what a punch it gave my eyes. It really made my eyelashes seem so much fuller and so much longer, which is exactly what you want, right? Kasha Mascara is a game changer. It's no wonder Allure magazine called Caution a lash lift in a tube. It embodies everything I love about the Hourglass brand, a 100% cruelty-free vegan formula that really works, all wrapped up in beautiful, innovative packaging. Discover Hourglass like I did and experience unparalleled next-generation performance by visiting hourglasscosmetics.com lovely and use the promo code lovely to get free shipping with your purchase of a full-size caution mascara. That's hourglass.com lovely, promo code lovely. And I think that your book, I mean, it's so interesting to see how God wove together these pieces of you had been a special ed teacher and like all these things that really seem like from the outside looking in had prepared you to a certain extent. I mean, as much as you can be for having that happen in your life, but then also your authenticity about your feelings and how Mm -hmm. that really affected you as a mother and all of that. I thought you were able to be so authentic you were very honoring to him, absolutely, but you were able to be very real in a way that was probably freeing because he can't read it. You know, he he's not going to feel bad because mom was upset or, you know, I feel like you were able to maybe put words to what a lot of other mothers are probably feeling, but mm-hmm. maybe have guilt over feeling or, you know, feel like maybe they're the only ones out there who have felt this way. And to have your authenticity in this book about both the hard and the honestly, like, painful part of dealing with disability, but also the amazing gifts that it brings and honoring your son through this book, I just thought was so beautiful. Mm, Thank you. I think there's, you know, as, as moms, women, people, we, we all have dark, thoughts and feelings. And I think it, there can be a lot of guilt and shame around those in, you know, regards to our children. And when David was born, I really, and still, I mean, you know, he's 16 now and there's still times I'm like, this is so hard, Yeah. but being honest about that. I mean, one of the things when I wrote the book, I just wanted women to feel like, Oh my gosh, I thought it was just me, yeah. but maybe I'm not crazy, you know, yeah. because we all have really dark, hard thoughts at times. And that's part of being human. That really honestly has nothing to do with David Yeah. yeah. as much as me being a person with my own, you know, expectations, desires, yeah. hopes, dreams, and then having to really adjust that big time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know that from having talked to my own mom, because she also didn't know, well, until my brother was born, that there was an issue. It was the 80s. So they weren't doing Um, ultrasounds at the time, she had actually Mm -hmm. kind of had an inkling that maybe something was wrong and had asked for an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, oh, no, that's totally unnecessary. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until she was in labor and they broke her water and they realized that something was wrong with the waters. And instead Mm -hmm. of then 
putting her into a C-section, they told her to just push harder, which with a kid with spina bifida actually did more damage because his back was wide open. You know, I mean, all of those things happening, but as, you know, frightening as it was when they said, you know, okay, your son has this major disability. She said there was that mix of like, oh my gosh, how can this happen? But also at the same moment, what do we need to do? Like, I'm mm-hmm. all in for whatever we need to do. And that doesn't mean that it's not hard, but you just, it's your son. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> like right. you, you'll do whatever it takes, but it will, there will be, it's still hard, but you'll do whatever it takes. It's like that juxtaposition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy looking back. Like um, when David was three months old, he had a massive surgery, like on his abdomen mm-hmm. and after the surgery, I mean, I think he, he weighed like six or seven pounds at that point. Wow. And after the surgery, they put him in like an overflow room, which was basically kind of a hallway with a lot of other kids. And some of them were up and walking around. Like one, one child had been burned, but he was like up and playing and stuff. And I was like, this is crazy because he's so medically fragile. He just had massive surgery. And I, the, there was a lot happening with the hospital and I think the nurses were on strike. So it was a complex situation. So I said to one of the nurses, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with him being in this overflow room. I feel like he needs to be somewhere where there's less germs. And she said, well, it's either this or the street. And I was like, well, I think we'll take the street because it's probably safer. Um, but I was so feisty, like my mama bear, you know, came out and I called the surgeon and I, I, which I don't even know how I got his number, but I called the surgeon and said, I'm really uncomfortable. They have David in an overflow room. So he called the hospital and like five minutes later, the nurse came in and she's like, we have a room for you. And I looked back, I'm like, how, like what, you know, I mean, I think the way that we like rise up to take care of our kids, even in the craziest situations is such a testament to like that mother heart, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I just, as you're talking, it's like so many stories from my mom and my brother being born. They just, they, they come into my head, you know, they've had so many of those things, but you realize it's that, that idea though, whether you have a child with disabilities or not, we all have those, those mama bear instincts where we're going to fight for them (laughs) no matter what, you know, and it's a powerful to realize across all of our different circumstances. Totally. Yeah. And I really think that in your book, along with that, you do such a good job of this, like finding who we are. And I think that motherhood in general, that can be a very easy thing to lose, especially in the little years. I know I have a lot Mm -hmm. of listeners to the show who, you know, they just feel they've got, you know, three under five or, you know, whatever, more than that or, you know. And I think to a certain extent that does happen in motherhood. Like there are those seasons of motherhood that are more physically demanding than others and it it just can it can just feel like a lot at one time yeah but i agree with you i think that there we do need to somehow keep some semblance of ourselves and i think there comes a point also where we need to reclaim who we are do you feel that as well i so resonate with with what you're saying i think there are some things just intrinsic to motherhood that are really hard for women not to lose themselves to a certain extent, especially during the little years. Like you said, Mm -hmm. I was just talking with a friend and like 
it's been about a month and her toddler daughter and baby daughter have just been trading a cold back and forth. So she hasn't seen friends. She hasn't been able to leave the house much. And it's like, it's so isolating. And you can't just say like, look, mom needs some time. You guys are going to have to cope. I mean, they need care, you know? Yeah. And so you just, you give and give and give. And, um, and I think it's a, a really beautiful season and a hard season, but like you're saying, it can only, we can only do that for so long before, we, we have to like rest and reclaim ourselves and feed our souls. Otherwise we end up at a breaking point, which is really what happened for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I went for a long, long time, just giving and giving and giving and trying so hard to make everybody happy and meet David's needs and all these things until I really had a breaking point where I was so miserable that I just didn't, I wanted, you know, I needed to do something extreme to make change because I couldn't keep going the way that things were. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I hear yet. <laughs> I've been there <laughs> in a different way. I mean, I just a year ago mm-hmm. when I look back, I was like, I was so burnt out. And a lot of the things that were being put on me were external expectations of what mm-hmm. I needed to be and what I needed to do to be accepted and to be loved and to be considered a good mother and all of that. But I had internalized a lot of those things as they had, I mean, they were literally told to me, but I had internalize them because that was my life. And so it's been a long year of kind of unraveling a lot of those lies. But I loved when you talked in the book about how like you decided to get more help with David and that you Mm -hmm. didn't have to feel guilty about that because I think we do talk ourselves into like if we're asking for help with things in our lives that makes us less of a mother when really it's probably the thing that we need to be a good mother. Sure. Yes. It's like, for some reason I, and I, I mean, this must be like my upbringing, the church and other women. And I don't think anyone means to, um, put this pressure on each other, but sort of this, like, if I'm not the one drawing the bath, then my kids aren't going to feel loved. And if I'm not the one cutting the sandwiches, I'm not really being present for them. And as we've had more help, you know, there's times where we have a babysitter here and I'm home and she's giving David a bath or she's feeding him. And it's like, he's loved, he's nurtured, like he's completely in a safe, loving place. And I'm also present. Like he sometimes will come over to me while I'm working and bring me a book. And so I'll stop and reading, read him a book. And it's like, but then I go back to work or I move to a spot where I can get some, um, space so that, so I can focus. And it's like, this kid is so loved and cherished and he knows it. And so it's interesting that we feel like I'm the only one who can love my child when really it's, it's so wonderful to let other people love our kids and let them be experiencing other people. And, um, and then of course we still love our children and spend time with them. And, and it's, there's no lack, you know, it's not like, wow, my kids don't know I love them because we have a babysitter. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of times when we get that help with the things that, even if they're things that we want to do, it may not just be like, well, I don't want to have to bathe my kids, so I'm going to have somebody else do it. You know, they may be things we want to be able to do, but if we don't have the capacity to do all of it, if we have help with those things, we can be better moms in the times that we are able to do those things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think that there's the perspective like, I need to spend all my time with my children. And mm-hmm. actually I never was really wired that way. Like I started working when they were really young and kind of loved having something else mm-hmm. and, and they're fine. You know, they yeah. don't, 
children need love and they need consistency, but it doesn't all have to be from just the mom or just the mom and dad or, you know, there's a lot of flexibility there and there's a lot of right ways to do it. It doesn't have, there's not just one way. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think like you were saying, I don't know where we get these ideas from, whether it's the church or upbringing or, or whatever that we're less than, but I think especially there's been such an erosion, I would say, in the last hundred years, especially probably, where we don't have the same sense of community that yes. women had for you know thousands of years where there just was this intrinsic help with one another. I mean, I see it within even my best friend's family. They have a large family and, you know, she has lots of siblings and they all have kids and they just, they're all able to help each other a lot. And I think that's a rare thing these days. I just, I don't see that happening as much. We live much more autonomous lives. I think we're kind of raised, probably especially in American culture, to think we should be able to do it all on our own and that it's almost bad to accept help yeah. instead of recognizing that it can be the thing that helps us be better at what we are doing. I think that's true. And I also think there's a new sort of perspective that kids need undivided attention and parents yes. should be on the floor playing with their kids and we can't leave kids unattended or they can't play outside without supervision, which yeah. even 30 or 40 years ago, I mean, kids, I was riding my bike to the liquor store two miles <laughs> away when I was like seven years old. Yeah, I mean, it was like, my parents didn't, weren't watching us every second. Yeah. And it was a different perspective, you know? And so it's like, now there's less help and more pressure. Yeah. And it's, it's really exhausting, I think. Yeah. I can't remember if it was, I think it was someone I interviewed or maybe a book I was reading this. Look how well-researched I am. But it was someone (laughs) saying that even like 20 or 30 years ago, the amount of hours that women worked or the women who were stay-at-home parents were spending, like, undivided attention on their children. It was, like, 11 hours a week or something. Uh And now it's the same amount of time that out-of-the-house working mothers are spending 11 undivided hours of attention on their children a week, and stay-at-home moms are spending 17 And that's not saying like, I mean, obviously they're around. It's not like you're just neglecting your children the rest of the time. But it's like that, that same idea of that focus completely, you know, on them attention that like you were saying, I don't remember that. I mean, I remember my mom being around, but it wasn't like she was playing with me. I was doing my own imaginative things and, you know, playing in the yard. And, you know, it was, it was not the same expectations as it is now. And we've got to come back to some sort of balance with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think give ourselves, even in a world, in a Pinterest world where people are like, first we watercolored and then we baked cookies and then we went on a scavenger hunt to find acorns. And and I'm like, oh my gosh, like literally we've watched the same movie three times today. And like, I'm just trying to get work done. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I'm like, I am a failure. So I'm like, you know what? Did you like that movie? Do you want to watch it again? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Is that a good one? Is that your new thing? I like right now. Well, it will. By the time this episode comes out in January, thank heavens there will be a new season of Fuller House because I okay, know. Good, good, good. Yeah, I know I'm probably going to get flack from this for from people, but my three year old is obsessed 
with Fuller House. And I would be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes when she quotes it, it is downright hilarious because there are things you would not expect a three-year-old to say. But I am I will be just so thankful when the next season comes out because we're so tired of it's seasons like, one through three. It's like this gift, like, oh my gosh, you you don't know what you're giving me. Like this yes. is gonna make my life so much easier for a short period of time. Yeah. I got to oh, interview I love it. um Candace Cameron Bure on the show this fall and I totally did this. So do you have any idea when season four will be dropping? Like, <laughs> Just so can we, can, we get it early. Yeah. Just to let our listeners know, of course, not for any personal reason. I need to know when totally. is this coming out? I'm dying. That is so funny. We yeah. um my kids watched iCarly like crazy oh, when they yeah. were little. And then we went to Disneyland and we're standing in line for the Matterhorn and uh the the woman that played Sam, the blonde friend, oh, yeah. was standing in, in front of us in line and I was like so starstruck like it's the most starstruck <laughs> I've ever been because I'm like you don't understand like you're in our house for hours every day yeah. like I feel like I know you I mean you watch my kids closer than I watch my kids <laughs> that's hilarious I love that I've been it was hearing so funny that's I love that yeah I've been hearing that about my other podcast it's called the same page and we do like memory work that people can listen to in the mornings with their kids and then I release another chapter from a classic children's novel every day and I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's really fun. I love it. We did the Wizard of Oz and now we're doing Peter Pan and it's been a ton of fun. But it's been funny because I've been getting those same kinds of like emails and even I've seen a couple women in public who've said like you don't understand you're like a second mother to my children I just put on your podcast and then I can go take a shower or I can go do whatever yeah it just cracks me yeah up that's amazing that yeah the tables are that's turning. such a gift yeah mm-hmm. it's so fun my for us it was Phineas and Ferb we homeschooled for uh-huh. a lot of years and I always joke that my kids actually learned more from Phineas and Ferb than they learned from me Because, like, I remember (laughs) when my six-year-old at the time, he said, like, classical music came on. He was like, oh, mom, this is classical. And I was like, that's right. Like, what did we do that, like, you remembered that that was classical? And he said, oh, I learned it from Phineas and Ferb. Of course you did. Totally. Okay, let's not tell people that part. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. No, you actually learned that from mom, right? (laughs) Totally, totally. Oh, yes. that's so funny. Yeah. Those you know, Phineas and Ferb is pretty, it's pretty brilliant. There's a lot right. of good writing in that show, so I could get behind that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that an egglet is the name of the little part on the end of a shoestring. I mean, it's this valuable information that you really totally. need. Totally. You only need a, a handful of facts to make you look like a brilliant person. It's so, so true. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We need to know what we like, who we are. You talk in the story about the Red Bull, how you'd given up the Red Bull when you were little because you didn't want to fight for it with your siblings. Like you would just let them have it. And that was kind of the mentality that you had throughout your life until you realized, I can't keep giving up the Red Bull because there's nothing left of me. So if women, because this will be playing fairly close to the beginning of the year. You know, your book comes out January 29th, which happens to be my brother's birthday as well. Oh, that's so neat. I love that. Um, But so this book is coming out fairly close to the beginning of the year. And I think there are going to be a lot of people reading it thinking, oh my goodness, this is me. I need to figure out 
who I am or I'm or maybe they are getting to that point of being burnt out and they need to be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. What would be your best tip for having like gone through that to the point where it was like, you know, bad. <laughs> like you were you, yeah. you were totally burnt out, you know, before maybe they quite get there. What steps could they start taking to to take care of themselves and figure out who they are and start you know, fighting for their own Red Bull. Yeah. Well, a little bit of background on the Red Bull story. Um, We had a stack of colored bulls growing up and there was all different colors, but for some reason there was only one Red Bull and there were seven kids in my family. So everybody wanted the Red Bull and it was like the fight on Saturday morning to see who could get it. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, like you're saying, McKinsey, one Saturday, I just decided I'm just tired of fighting for it and I'll just let someone else have it, which kind of became this like, way of functioning in life. Like, you know what? It's just too hard to fight. Like whatever I get, I'll just be happy with it. And, um, I think as things started to unravel for me and I was really becoming more aware of how unhappy I was, Mm. the first thing I did was I found a counselor, which I highly recommend. Yeah. And, um, just would encourage people to not just see one counselor and settle there, but really, Um, look around until you find someone that seems to really understand you and that you feel like you can be honest with. Yeah. And then, you know, that work is so important. I have, it's been transforming. Yeah. And the other thing that has been so huge for me is I, um, I think that for so long I moved really fast and kept busy because I didn't want to think and feel. And so I kept coming across things that were like, are you making space for quiet? And I was like, what is this? You know, and it happened enough that I was like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to try this. So I set the timer for 10 minutes and I just sat on the couch quietly and nothing really happened. Like it was kind of like I was fidgety. I was like, is this almost over? But then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do that again tomorrow. So I started doing this for a while and nothing. I wasn't having like light bulb moments within the 10 minutes But I think it was allowing my brain to kind of process some things and like make sense of things. And I started, I started knowing like, oh my gosh, I feel this or I'm, I want this and I'm, I want to change this or I need this thing. And just started having clarity in a way that I really had not had before. And I actually think one of the most, um, I don't want to discourage people, but I think one of the most dangerous things we can do as far as keeping everything, you know, status quo is to start making some space for quiet Mm. because it will disrupt. Like if we want to make change, making space for quiet is the way to start getting a handle on what that's going to look like. Mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because especially in our culture, we don't allow ourselves to do that. We don't, we don't really need to. And there's constant input So it's a hard thing to intentionally do that. Yeah, I think I've heard people say like, you know what? So often when I'm taking a shower, I have these like light bulb moments or I have these thoughts. And it's like, yeah, because the shower is the only time there's not like music or TV or podcasts or people or kids, you know, or we're not running from one thing to the next. And it's like we have 10 minutes of sort of this solitude and our brains are like, I'm, you know, our brains and our hearts are like, listen to me. I have something to say to you. Like, are you listening? Are you listening? Yeah, that's so true. I would have never even put those two things together, but you're right. Yeah, 
That's that's powerful. And I'm just wondering, too, like you had this process of writing this book and it really wasn't too long after you had this, you know, breakdown and realizing these things and making these big changes in your life. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I was writing the book maybe a year after we had like a marriage crisis and I told my husband I wanted to separate and we were apart for just a few weeks and then we came back together and we're rebuilding. So maybe a year after that, which is still pretty fresh because marriage, you know, it's interesting and I'd love to get your perspective on this, but I feel like as a society, we don't really talk about our marriages, Mm. like the, you know, behind closed doors it feels like that's sort of off limits or, or maybe we say something very vague, but mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, write in detail about what it looked like, how I yeah. felt, what it looked like, how I told my husband I wanted to separate. It was really vulnerable and scary. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it comes across that way in the book. It's like, wow, she's just getting right to it here. But I think that was incredibly powerful because like you're saying, we don't, hear those stories we hear that oh we went through a rough patch or you Mm -hmm. know or we came through it or whatever but nobody really talks about what actually happened what led to the breakdown what it looked like in the breakdown and I think that it can be very helpful to people to know what those things look like if they're going through something similar or they're wanting to avoid the same thing happening in their relationship to kind of have those more of the inside details I think you know, there are certain things, I mean, like with my situation, certain things I have to be more guarded about because there's still like ongoing legal procedures and, you know, all of that. But there have been people who have reached out to me asking, like, I'm in a similar boat. How do you do this? Because a lot of people want to know the, the, that nitty gritty information of, okay, you're Mm -hmm. going through the same thing as me. What does this look like for you? Because we don't want to feel alone in it. And if we see someone who is getting through it, we want to know how they did it. And so I think putting that information out there is powerful. I think it's like, um, yes, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, what we want is like, you know what, I was really afraid to have this hard conversation, but then we had it and things got better. Mm -hmm. But I think so often it's like, I was really afraid to have this hard conversation and then we had it and everything fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We don't expect those things. We think that things are going to get tied up with a nice, pretty bow. And even if they end up getting there eventually, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of little battles that feel like they were lost in the meantime. And yeah, I know I've felt that way through this whole process is just like, wait a minute, you know, this isn't what I was expecting. And but to still acknowledge that somewhere down the road, it it will get better, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah. The process is so messy. And I have a question for you. Do you find that people have been supportive as as you're going through this journey or do you find that people still tell you like, no, you should get back with your husband. Like that's God's will for you. You know, that was something that I was the most trepidatious about leaving because, you know, my podcast is a big way that I provide and I knew it would be one of the things I would need to do to provide for me and my kids. And knowing that I have Mm -hmm. this Christian platform that, you know, my whole platform was like homemaking and 
being a wife and being a homeschooling mom and is anyone going to stand by me when all of a sudden that's not what this is anymore. It was so scary. I am so blessed that the masses, like the followers of my platform have been 99.9% supportive. And that was so refreshing to me. It was more the local people and the local church that I had Mm -hmm. bigger issues with. People who just Mm -hmm. wanted to put out the blanket statements of marriage is a covenant. You agreed to be married for life. He didn't hit you. He didn't cheat. So you need to stay. And not looking at the other types of abuse that are in a lot of ways, I think more damaging. I mean, when you're to the place in your marriage where you're actually praying like, God, just let him hit me. Or, you know, mm. if, if he would just go have an affair so that I would have a right. way out. You know, that there's a different level of abuse and control happening there than I think a lot of people can wrap their brains around. And I do think that the church yes. in general does a really bad job of understanding what this type of abuse is. And I think you're so right. Yeah, because these types of men are so manipulative and they use the faith against the women. I mean, especially in my case, my ex, his parents have a church. They are, they pastor a church. And so it is been very, made very widely known in that church. And that church has made very specifically known to my children that God hates divorce and therefore I am not following God anymore and my family isn't following God anymore because they are supporting me and leaving an abusive marriage. And mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, that is what, that is the rhetoric that has been, you know, undeniably claimed about me and my family. That is mm-hmm. very, very hard. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just have to cling to the fact that I know my God through this process. And that's one of the things that was so powerful in your book. Like, I mean, I was just when I was looking back through it this morning, you have this page where you said the self-protective walls I had spent a lifetime building around my heart were starting to come down brick by brick. God was dismantling years of trying to be good enough, trying to prove I was worth loving. Now I finally understood I never had to try. I never had to prove myself. I had always been loved. And Mm. that idea is still something that, you know, a year and a half later, I still am having to grapple with the fact that God just loves me that it wasn't yeah. and it isn't something that I have to earn. I mean, I literally, I've been a Christian for 25 years, you know, and mm-hmm. I was just at church last weekend and, you know, the pastor was saying, you know, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. How many times have we heard that same statement? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like right. the basis of our faith. But for some reason, when he said it this past weekend, it just struck me. And I was like, yeah. oh, like I, I really didn't. And I don't have to do anything like he does. Yes, he has, you know, he has things he wants me to do and you know, ways that he wants me to live. But when it comes right down to it, he loved me enough to sacrifice his son. Like 
for some reason, it's like still realizing that after having to work to be loved for so long. And a lot of that was because of the church that that mm-hmm. was able to be leveled at me. And because I do love God and I do want to serve him and do right by him, that's a very manipulative piece to be able to use against someone. So I think, you know, that was a really long answer to your question, but I think by and large, no, the church I love it. needs to do better. I think it's so mixed up because there's so much that the church is saying that is right and true and good, but the order gets mixed up, yeah. you know? So we, we hear about grace and love and God loves you no matter what, but then also like, but the fruit of your life is going to show that you love God. But it's like, well, wait, like, I don't actually know, you know, I'm trying, trying, trying for me when I was so desperately low and I told my husband that I wanted to separate, I really believed that I was turning my back on God and my faith and my family. Mm -hmm. And when I told Steve, I want to separate and I was just in this really, I mean, it was so dark and so scary and I feel like God met me in that place and whispered, now we're getting somewhere, Lisa. Like now you're being honest yeah. and I can meet you in this place with the real you, no matter how broken you are. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a God. I don't even know if I've yeah. known him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like coming to him from that broken place is a, a very different perspective to have mm-hmm. and almost like a reforming of your faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because when, when you are at your lowest and you can realize in that broken place, like when I was broken and I, I was like, I bring nothing. I mean, I am, my hands are empty. My heart is empty. And God's like, I love you right now. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, wow. I, I really thought that I was turning my back on you and I'm realizing, oh, I was turning my back on a religion that was teaching something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. And I think, I don't know if this was your experience. I know it's been mine recently, like having to look back, but I'm thinking that probably as you were writing your book and you had to do all that introspection and looking back, were you able to more clearly see the growth and the change that had happened than maybe you would have otherwise noticed if you hadn't been writing a book? That's such a good question. I mean, I feel like I'm experiencing it so much in my life every day, like mm-hmm. even just the way I make decisions and the way that I say what I need and want. And like, if my husband's having a bad day before I would spin out just feeling like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to make him happy mm-hmm. and feeling, um, so afraid that like, if he's unhappy, then he's not going to love me because it's my job to make him happy. Yeah. And so really having to relearn so much. I think that when I was writing the book, I felt like I want to try to try to tell this story in a way that will make sense because it's such a messy process of up and down and back and forth. And um, when I read the book aloud for the audio, I could feel the flow. Like I was like, okay, I think that it actually does tell a story of like having these um, learning like God, God really loves me right now. Like no matter what, I mean, even if you do the, if I did the worst thing I could imagine, or even if you left your marriage and it wasn't abusive, or even if, you know, like no matter what God loves me. And that is 
really hard to internalize when we feel like we have our crap together and Mm -hmm. like we're making it work. And, you know, so I'm like, there's something really beautiful about that broken place of like, I, I didn't have anything. And in that place realized God loves me. That's profound. Yeah, it really truly is. And it can be life changing when you live from that place instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's crazy. I mean, you will, there will be people who won't understand you, who won't Mm -hmm. agree with you, who don't have space for that. And also people who just have expectations that you're no longer going to be able to meet because you're functioning differently. And it's, it's a messy process, but really beautiful and important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good place for us to move on to the next part of our interview. That went so deep and wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you're welcome all of what you just said but now we're going to like the more lighthearted part of things okay <laughs> so well sometimes sometimes what a typical day looks like can feel rough but what does a typical day look like <laughs> for you right now um my my life is all over the place so lately I've been traveling a lot which is crazy and it tends to feel so disorienting but mm. I think I was probably gone like 10 nights last month which wow. felt like a lot yeah um And, but a typical day is we really try to have our mornings together. So my husband makes breakfast and then each of us takes one of the boys to school. And then uh, we have a babysitter who picks up the boys in the afternoon and we try to have dinner together. My work day is I often work from home. Like Mm -hmm. I, I like if I can get alone time, sometimes I grab coffee with a friend, which maybe that happens a couple times a week. My work is like, sometimes I'm writing a blog post or sometimes I'm on social media or taking pictures or I'm in a meeting to like plan our marketing for the season. I mean, it's like, it's really scattered. Mm -hmm. It's like all over the place. So, um, so yeah, so I'm just sometimes feel really pulled from one thing to the next, but then some days I'll end up having like a four hour block where I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to go lay down or I'm going to, um, watch a show on TV or like, I don't know, drive out and just sit by the ocean for a little bit. I've been trying to make a lot more space for me to have downtime. And that's been so life-giving. Yeah, absolutely. I know even in the small moments that I get, it's like I I try to take advantage of it as much as I can because you've got to have those pieces in order to keep moving forward. Yes. And it's crazy how I'm... I'm not rushing like I used to, and everything seems to get done just the same. Yeah, that's good. Do you think that's how you're cultivating the lovely right now in your life, or would there be something specific also that you're doing? I think making that space is really helping me cultivate the lovely. Mm-hmm. To And to feel like like this morning, I totally had a breakdown before we, before we got on this oh. um, Skype call. Yeah, I was like, it's just a crazy day. And I was doing great. Like, I was like, everything's great. Like, I cleaned the kitchen before I took the boys to school or one of the boys to school and um, was feeling good. And then my son was supposed to bring a dessert and he forgot to take it to school. And um, as I was putting David in the car, he had a surgery last year um, on his um, sinuses and his face was swollen. Like, it looked like his sinuses were like his face was swollen because I think his sinuses are swollen and I had this like panicky, like, Oh my gosh. So I called his doctor who's in LA, which is four hours South and was like, um, I don't know what to do. And they're like, do you want to drive down? I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know, so just started panicking and then broke down crying. And I was like, you know what, if I just cancel my whole day, 
it's all going to be okay. Like, yeah, it's all going to work out and everyone's going to be fine. Like it's because I think there's so much coming at me in my lifelong um, sort of story has been like, I have to make all these things happen or the world's going to fall apart. Yeah. And at some point it's like, you know, really a lot of it can just either happen tomorrow or not happen at all. And it's all going to be fine. Yeah. And in that place, I feel like, okay, like there's a lot of freedom and a lot of room to just um, let things be what they are and not have to control it all. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say that one of the ways I'm cultivating the lovely right now is kind of along that sort of that same line of, you know, I started this new podcast this year, the same page, and it requires a lot of recording time for me and a ton of editing time. And I haven't Mm -hmm. had the chance to really get too far ahead with it. Like there's more nights than I want to admit that I am editing the show for the next morning, you know, the night before. Mm -hmm. And when we did The Wizard of Oz as our first book, I stuck really, really strictly to we're doing a full chapter a day. And I burnt myself out so hard because a lot of these chapters, it was like, you know, 30 minutes of recording that I needed to edit down to 15 or 20 minutes, which takes an hour to an hour and a half. You know, it was like this huge thing to take on. And when I started Peter Pan, the chapters were even longer. And I realized I'm going to have to I'm going to have to break these down. And Mm -hmm. I realized that if I just put out a five or six minute chunk I can do that much more manageably and it feels a lot less <laughs> burdensome. I can actually have some of the joy right. back and putting it out there. And while people enjoy the longer episodes too, they say they, they're enjoying the shorter ones, <laughs> you know, just as much. So sure. like, why am I burning the candle at both ends to do this thing that's really kind of over and above what I need to be doing? why don't I just put out these manageable, manageable chunks, which was what I intended the show to be in the first place and not kill myself yep. over it. You know, it's going to be okay. Totally. So yeah, giving totally. myself I love that. Kinds of graces has been a very yeah. lovely thing for me lately. That's so good. I think there's so much of that we can do in our lives and, and just let go of like, you know what, if someone's disappointed, like they're going to be okay. Yeah. And if they're not okay, it was probably a way, a way bigger problem than I was going to be able to solve anyway. Right? That's so <laughs> true. Oh, my goodness. That, yes. <laughs> okay. Would you like to answer my stock questions now? I would love to. Okay. Do you prefer candles or an essential oil diffuser? I really don't do much of either, but okay. I would have to say candles. Okay. I just bought a candle the other day, and I've been hearing that they give off a lot of, um, like, bad... Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know what the word Fumes. is, but I was like, but they smell so lovely. So just keep the area like, you know, open, but I would love to try a, a diffuser sometime. I think that'd be really nice. Yeah. I really like my diffuser, but I love a good candle sometimes too. It's just like cozy, you know, get a yeah. one. And the and light is really beautiful. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Okay. Cloth napkins or paper? We pretty much use paper, but we do use cloth like maybe two or three nights a week. Um, We'll set the table kind of for reels and um, use cloth napkins. And it feels like so fancy. Yeah, totally. That's a great level. <laughs> okay. Do you prefer the city or the country? Totally country. I am not much of a city girl, but okay. I can enjoy the city for a couple of days. But in general, I like slow pace. Okay. Paper or digital? Oh, that's a good question. I've been reading so much more on my Kindle. Um... But I do read books, too. I'd say 50-50. Okay. 
shopping, would you rather do it online or in the store? I'd rather do it in the store, but I can't always do that. Yeah. So if I have, if I have a choice, I'd for sure rather go to the store and try stuff on. Okay. So it's four o'clock or whatever time you're making dinner, or as we read in your book, you're giving yourself a break on dinner some of the time, but it's, totally, a, totally. it's around that time of the day and you need a mental break. Do you listen to pod, a podcast or to music? If I'm alone, I listen to a podcast, but around dinner time, I'm usually not alone. So it would be music. Okay. And what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, gosh, there's so many. And I don't know if I'm able to pull up the names. I love like this American life is a total classic. Okay. Um, and then they, um, NPR also has one called invisibilia. That's super fascinating. Like it's invisible things that are influencing us. So it might be, um, like it might be a thought or it might be actually a force in the world. I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. Super fascinating. That sounds interesting. Um, gosh, I don't know. Okay. I've been listening to so many podcasts lately, but often just because I'm going to be guesting and I want to hear oh, them and they've yeah. all been so great. They've been so wonderful. That's fun. Okay. Chocolate. Do you prefer milk or dark? I prefer milk, but we've been eating keto lately. So I'm oh. eating like really, really dark, dark chocolate and it's like so dry and, um, it's like, you know, yeah. not very creamy, but it's really flavorful. And when you're, if you're really wanting chocolate because you can't have it, then dark chocolate does the trick. Yeah, you'll just take whatever you can get. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're like, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. Yeah, exactly. I Hands down about all the chocolate. Okay, sports or no sports? I am not very athletic. And actually, my kids aren't in sports, so I'm going to have to say no sports. All right. We do. I walk a lot as we hike on the weekends and stuff, but we're not very athletic. Okay. Live broadcasting, would you rather broadcast or watch? I'd rather watch. <laughs> okay. I kind of thought that might be the answer. Okay. Yeah, what... maybe this is like introverts versus extroverts, but yeah, yeah, I'd rather watch. I know. It's funny. There Usually that's one of those questions I can peg pretty well on people of whether or not they'd rather uh -huh. be in front or behind the camera. Okay. What yeah. is your favorite movie? Hmm. Okay, this is kind of random, but one is Keeping the Faith, which is like totally old. I think it's from the 90s or early 2000s. And it's like Ben Stiller is a um, Jewish priest. So are they called priests? Rabbi. <laughs> um, rabbi, yes. And then um, Edward Norton is a Catholic priest. And oh. they're both in love with the same girl, which is Jenna Elfman. It's like, I just think I, it's adorable. I it's, do remember that. At first, I didn't know what you were talking about, but I think I did see that. Yeah. It's so cute. I don't know why I love it so much, but it's, <laughs> I just think it's so cute. So I watch that a few times a year. And then also um, Reese Witherspoon in, I'm blanking on the name, but where she's a lawyer, oh, Legally Blonde. Oh, yeah. Like, she is amazing in that movie. And she's like when she's standing in line at the bookstore buying a computer in her bunny costume. <laughs> and she's like, like, she's so confident. I'm like, nothing yeah. ever gets her down. Like, she's just so amazing. So did you hear I they're coming out with another one? No, I didn't. Yes, they just signed on to what would it be the third one? I think. Yep. Yeah, the third one. That's awesome. I hope it's good. The second I one know. was okay. But yeah. the first one's so good. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be, a, it's got to be a totally different thing because it's quite a bit later, but it'll be fun to see. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Okay, if you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum, like how natural you are, where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is like singing kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair, where would you be Mm. on the crunchiness spectrum? I'm probably like a five. So I really try to buy organic food. Um, I really think about like what we're putting in our bodies and what we're putting on our bodies and stuff like that. But I'm like, I do plenty of things that people would, who are super crunchy would be like, ah, you might want to reconsider like the amount of clothes you buy or, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I yeah. mean, there's things I'm like, yeah, I could grow in a lot of areas. So, and I, I do shave my legs regularly. Yes. So I'm going to say a five. All right. I'm like right smack in the middle. That's a fabulous answer. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. It was a true joy and it was just so fun to be able to go deep into that discussion with you. Thank you so much, Mackenzie. It was so fun. Yeah. Best wishes with the release of your book. Everybody go order it now. It's so good. Thank you. Brave love. Yes. It's on yes. Amazon, Barnes and Noble and it's at Target. So very exciting. Awesome. I can't wait to see how it does. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Isn't Lisa just the sweetest? I mean, listening to her and getting to talk with her, it was just like you just want to be around her and soak up all that goodness. She's got so much joy, but authenticity and delight just pouring out of her. It was so much fun to be able to chat with her, especially after so many years of admiring her and her work. So thank you to Lisa for coming on the show. And if you want links to any of the stuff that we talked about today, links to her book and all of that, you can go to boldturquoise.com slash one zero one and you'll be able to find all of those links right there one last little plug before we go because i haven't mentioned it in a while but it has been so much fun and we're about to get rolling with a brand new book and that is the same page podcast this is a podcast for families and you listen to it so that you and your kids can consume amazing classics in about five minutes or less every day so every monday we release a new core episode which includes shakespeare scripture poetry and presidential facts you can listen to it every day that week and i promise by the end of the time that we are done with each passage, you and your kids will actually have memorized them with virtually no effort on your part. I'm always about that kind of thing. And then also Monday through Thursday, we release another chapter from a classic children's novel. And you guys, we are about to embark on Little Women. Whew, this is a big undertaking. I'm a little bit nervous because it's a really long book. But if you've ever felt a little daunted to be reading this one to your kids or reading it with your kids, this is a great way to break it down into little bite-sized pieces where you and your kids can enjoy the story together. I would love to have you come check it out. So search the same page in whatever podcasting app that you use. It should be there. You can also go to the samepagepodcast.com to find out more about the show. I would love to have you join me, follow along, listen in. It doesn't matter if you're a homeschooler, public schooler, whatever you are. This is for everyone. This is a family thing. And so I would love to have you be a part of it with us. All right. That's all for this week, you guys. I will be back next week with one of our very favorites, the one and only Sally Clarkson, talking about her brand new book, Girls Club. It's a really fun episode, and I can't wait to share it with you. But until then, go be bold and gracious.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 